Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good evening and welcome to Wrestling Rewind. I am your host, Angel Amoroso, and I am joined by my co-host, the hey, Arrow. How's it going? Good. And you look good. You look good. Thank you. And so do you. You're all nice and tan. Yeah. So trying trying to make it for an old man, you know. Summertime treating you great. Yeah. I, yeah. I needed to get away a little bit, so I'm not in my normal spot. I'm in a vacation home and I'm just relaxing. I don't have my normal memorabilia I like to have. I do have picture in the back is Steve Savage and I who maybe follow our show. We don't know what the schedule is going to be at uh, Heart of Wrestling. But uh, we're going to continue here with what we do, and that's yes. Rewind. Uh, this week we uh, have another uh, book reading, and why don't you hold that up and show everyone of Masters of the Ring. And, and that is born in Camden, New Jersey, Buddy Rogers, Nature Boy, Buddy Rogers. So let's get right into that, Tommy. So Ric Flair, don't get it twisted. He was the nature boy way before you. Anyway, we're going to skip to like uh, 1958, all right? That's where we'll find him. Uh, The Southern California wrestling landscape in 1958 was much different than it had been 10 years earlier when the nature boy gimmick was born. Promotional wars and television squabbles had reshaped the region, and Cal Eaton at the Olympic Auditorium was the sole survivor. Gone were Johnny Doyle, the mastermind behind the rise of Gorgeous George, and Baron Michelle Leone, and Hugh Nichols, the longtime impresario at the Hollywood Legion Stadium. Doyle had abandoned the territory for greener pastures in the East, while Nichols struggled with depression and committed suicide in 1958. Buddy Rogers could never forget the, his, the importance of Nichols in the area, always brought back fond recollections. But at the same time, new memories were forged. Rogers spent time with his wife and newborn baby, close friends, newborn baby, close friends and uh, associates enjoyed the picturesque Los Angeles scene. The weather couldn't have been better, and Buddy was at the beach as much as possible. So if you think about Hollywood, you know, being that's him. That's Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. You know, he was the guy wearing a suit. You know, he set the tone. Yeah. Under the leadership of Eaton, and more importantly, the matchmaker Jules Strongbow, the popularity of wrestling was rebounding after a new turbulent, if there are a few turbulent years. The gross gain at the Olympic improved from a low. $30,201 in 1953 to $104,218 in 1957. They were on pace. Yeah, so they were doing good business. They were on pace to surpass that figure in 1968, and the presence of Rogers gave them a significant boost. 
Buddy was at his villainous best against baby faces Sandor Zabo, Billy Darnell, and country boy Calhoun, an early Haystacks Calhoun. The 23-year-old Calhoun was billed as the eighth wonder of the world, and his mammoth size made him a big attraction. Wearing overalls and wrestling barefoot, Calhoun was the opposite of Rogers in just about every way. In the ring, their styles clashed, but Rogers had experience working with oversized opponents, dating back to his bouts with the 600-pound Martin Blimp Levy in the 1940s. He knew how to uh, frame contests in just the right way to keep the heel proper to help the heel propel his rival and entertain the audience. These glasses are not right. Something's not right. <laughs> I didn't I know Horstax was around that long. I, I didn't realize. Because, you know, he worked in Jersey on, on the local circuit later on. Yeah. You know, that oh. was at, at almost at the end of his career, I suppose. Yeah. Cam, a Camden guy. His son was a bodybuilder. I remember that. But well, um, He certainly wasn't. <laughs> No, who? Buddy Rogers? No. Oh, I'm sorry. He stacks Calhoun. Oh, yeah. Yes. They said, you know, Bruno, there's a picture of Bruno holding him up. Yeah, you know, he's got him up in the air. I don't know if he slammed him or not. Wow. But yeah, that's a, that's a big that's a big guy. Um, all right. Where were we? Uh, Don Word, John. Zabo, on the other hand, was approaching. His 30th year in the field and was a multi time former world heavyweight champion. He held the coveted National Wrestling Alliance belt in 1941 to 1942 and was in the midst of his seventh reign as beat the champ. Now, that I used to uh, I'll get uh, Lucha Libra, but it wasn't. It was Los Angeles Wrestling, this right here that they're talking about, these guys. And it would be in uh, Spanish. And I'd have to go up to my buddy's sister had a little TV with the UHF antenna, and we go up and watch it. Fool around with the rabbit ears and try yeah. to get the fuzziness. Right? Like, he, he wants to go up in your room and watch the wrestling. She's like, all right. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I was familiar with it, and um, it was a very, very um, fast-paced and stopping point for many traveling to – various destinations from there that were very easy to go to. You had to go, you know, to Hawaii. These guys, you know, they had their, their, their whole routine, the way they worked, where they worked, and it all really, like, mapped out right. And this guy, Buddy Rogers, you know, he's a, a, someone that people don't – they don't regard him the way they should because they think that Bruno punked them down. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll get to, we'll get to the bottom of that at some other point. Uh, Following his May 28th loss to Rogers, this is Zabo, at the Olympic, Zabo was the recipient of some expert trash talking by his conqueror. Smugly, Buddy asserted that Zabo was hiding behind the standard 15-minute time limit for Beat the Champ. That was the was a Beat the Champ title, so they did it every week, right? Um, to prove him wrong, Sandar accept, accepted a two- a three-four rematch on June fourth with the crown on the line. He did uh, insist that Rogers put up a check for two thousand four hundred fifty dollars, an amount equivalent to beat the champ prize, and Buddy agreed. 
They don't aim to lose my money to that old guy. Rogers said with insatiable swagger, but that's exactly what happened. Zabo, the venerable battler, achieved a third full DQ victory and retained his title. Uh, another former NWA champion, Lou Fez. So can you imagine? Like, Lou Fez has got to work with this guy. And he's just getting used to working with people that aren't his equal. And now this guy comes along. You know, and now he's got to work with this guy. But he was smart enough to know you do business. It's business. Okay? Because if we went under the guidance of guys like Luthez, it might not work. Because Luthez maybe wasn't the, the best booker or, or, you know, that's not his role. So it's never a perfect. Uh, usually the guys that you don't think about are the best at those back scene, behind the scenes jobs, you know. So, uh, another, so another former NWA champ, Luthez, was also in the territory defending his uniquely branded International Heavyweight Championship. On June 11th, in 1958, he clashed with Rogers at the Olympic Auditorium in a televised main event, and it was a classic Donnybrook. The finish was built different than their usual fare as Rogers dove from the upper elastic in the corner. Onto Fez, they mean the, the ropes, the corner. Onto Fez is back, injuring him. The match was declared a draw, and Fez was taken to a local hospital for treatment. In subsequent press, Cal Eaton's publicist played up Lufez's need for revenge and claimed that Buddy had been avoiding a rematch. When the battle was locked in for July 23rd at the Olympic, Fez promised that Rogers was in for the beating of his life. That night, the eternal foes wrestled at breakneck speed and extended each other to their limits during a 20, a 60-minute time limit, you know, draw. The ferocity of the match was almost unbelievable, one report stated. So you got to give credit, you know, uh, to Rogers, who, you know, on the mat wasn't equal to Luthez, but Luthez was smart enough to not be a hardhead and say, we could do, we could do business, you know, we can make some money. Yeah, but you know what? Also, he, he stepped in there, and he, he went 60 minutes. So he stepped up physically. He, he showed him yeah. that, listen, you're, you're going to – I'm, I'm going to earn your respect, and boom, yeah. here we go. So, you, may, you may think I'm just a tan guy with a bill from Jersey, but you got another – this is one of the biggest draws ever. Now, he, he took his elbow pad off. He strutted around. He talked. He was like the equivalent of the sheep. Doing what the Sheik does, this guy, you know what I mean? So, really, really unique. Um, so, the bout was locked in for the Olympic with Fez against Rogers for the beating of his life. Uh, Rogers feuded with Fritz von Goring. I don't know if you remember that guy. He was a, bull, a, a real curly haired German kid. And Lord James Bleers, who's still wrestling. And in Southern California as well, and all. Though he often fought known heels, he was rarely the one chosen by fans as a favorite. For his fiercest grudge matches at the Olympic and Hollywood Legion Stadium, officials removed the first two rows of ringside seats to protect spectators from the chaotic violence. Every time that troublemaker, Rogers, wrestles, I have to put on extra police and keep wrestlers standing by in case he goes after the fans. Promoter Eaton complained, I'm getting darn tired of the risk that I'm taking. 
Rogers continued to terrorize the region well into September and completed his tour with a couple explosive bouts against Zaya Nandor and Billy Varga. A few days later, Buddy made his debut in Northern California on the circuit operated by NWA member Joe Malkowitz and was fully ready to take another big impact, make another big impact. A promoter with 45 years in the business, Malkowitz, knew all the tricks of the trade. He had already concocted a shrewd strategy for Rogers and believed it was a surefire moneymaker. His idea was to book Rogers as the world heavyweight champion, and like Buddy's recent stint as North American champion in Phoenix, it was completely fictitious. The claim was reportedly based on the 1952 tournament, which included 411 participants, and, and saw Rogers gain recognition in 28 eastern states. While it was true that Rogers did win a Pittsburgh TV tournament that year, his legitimate title claims stemming from that victory were long gone. Nevertheless, Malkowitz went forward with the plan and advertised the Nature Boy as champion. In turn, NWA President Sam Mucknick uh, contacted the San Francisco promoter and reminded him that it was against alliance rules to acknowledge a title holder other than the official NWA-sponsored champ. So they're basically telling you, you got to stop. Don't get excited, Malkowitz wrote Munchnik in response. Dick Hutton, who's a really good worker, is our world champion. Rogers is only the claimant. He minimized the controversy in the sphere of NWA politics and pressed on with business as usual. Rogers got off to a fantastic start in the San Francisco territory, a region encompassing a dozen towns from Maryville in the north to Fresno in the south. He received stellar publicity and quickly established himself as a dominant force to be reckoned with. Still everlastingly confident, Rogers was back to being a fan favorite, and it didn't take long for a bitter feud to develop between Buddy and ex-weightlifter-turned-wrestler Gene Dubuque. Now, this is like what you're reading, early hardcore, you know? He was like, you know, the, the one of the innovators. People want to say yeah. now that, oh, we're the innovator of hardcore and violence. Nah, no, you're not. Yeah. You know, take it back a little bit, and then you'll learn yeah. history about where hardcore mm-hmm. actually came from. Yeah, and you could be a proponent of it, but you, sure. know, you, you didn't start the shit. But definitely yeah. not the inventor. And some of these guys proved that, you know, it goes back just as yeah. far as, like, you know, uh, these gentlemen right here. So, yeah. It's awesome. I mean, I I get into this and I picture myself working then. Like it would have been so cool. Yeah, um, different errors of 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 hardcore. Yeah, nice. uh, Bill Bill is being from Hollywood and nicknamed the Strutter. Dubuque was of the Nature Boy variety and portrayed a nefarious instigator perfectly, perfectly. Rogers took a commanding early lead in their rivalry, teaming with Ronnie Etchinson to strip the World Tag Team Championship from Dubuque and Mike Valentino in Oakland on October 3rd. In Santa Rosa on October 10th, Rogers won the fastest match ever seen at the Pavilion over Valentino. He won the first ball in 12 seconds and the second by submission with his figure four in 204. 
So he's doing a figure four. What did they do in 12 seconds? What, did he get in and just, like, cradle him up? Like, yeah. seconds. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, you know right? I'm going to look that one up because I yeah. want to know what they did in 12 seconds. I mean, I, see, I can see what you could do in 204. Uh, right, you know? right. What did I do, Trip? 204, you could get in, you know, pretty much, yeah. you know, A to Z. But what did you do? He tripped on the way in to the ring and hit his head on the pole. I used to say to Cronus, He's going for the blade. We didn't, I didn't even do anything to him yet. I'm like, dude, you got to wait. Right. You got to wait. What? Wow. How would you? How would you have color that early when, when you must have hit your head on the doorway on the way out because I didn't touch you yet. Right, right. All wounds bust and open. Yeah. So yeah, two, two or four was a second. Uh, enraged by the turn of events, Dubuque attacked Rogers from behind. Pounded him with an array of punches and kicks. Those actions charged the mood of the crowd from a contented mass into a rabid mob. And fans genuinely wanted to hurt Dubuque for what he did. He was chased and menaced by people wielding chairs, benches, tables. Police were called in to break things up. Wild crowd, yes. Police were called, yeah. Uh, with blood covering his face, intermixed with the, his blonde hair, Rogers spoke to the audience from the ring. Moments later, he said, if you think I'm entitled to get even with Dubuque, why don't we get the promoter out here and make the match right now? Onlookers roared in approval. You know, the simplest of things. Raw heat. Yeah. Like, raw, they, they just knew how to get heat from this simplest yeah. of actions and words. And that's yeah. all. Because, you know, it was all, you know, not all new back then, but to that crowd, it was new. And they yeah. just, you know, there's certain guys that just know how to turn it on yeah. and get that crowd going. And, and these these are some of the guys, some of the original. Yeah. So, this is, this is, these are the guys that needed to, um, to train guys, to train guys, to train guys. You know what I mean? I mean, that's a shame. That's where the business went wrong. You got rid of the territories. You killed all your farm leagues. And then when you did, you got it and you turned them all into your same product. I would start 20 territories and have everybody, a different trainer of a different style of, of American wrestling uh, in each one of those territories. And you didn't, you don't graduate at a day or a time. You graduate when you're ready to graduate. And that's it. If you're not ready, we're not giving you a certificate. You're going out there and you think you're working. So. That's the problem. Everything went to crap. Uh, Rogers got his hands on Dubuque in Santa Rosa on October 25th, and a very similar story unfolded when the 1,400 patrons in attendance, Rogers won in two straight falls, was bloodied in the, far- in the farkas, and was again brutalized after the bell by an outsider. Dressed in street clothes, Fritz von Goren entered the ring to stop Rogers into submission. The fans went wild. They screamed and shouted through everything they could get their hands on and surrounded the ring with the hopes of settling the score on behalf of the fallen Roger. Like, these well, people don't know about spoilers. They're, they're the ones that they still put the time in the winter. You know, they're, they're in. You know, and you know, these guys, like, we could all learn from this. It's so simple. Thinking Philly fans are wild in the 90s. These guys were like, you know, what year was this? 
and they're like, you know, picking up chairs and whatever yeah. they can to defend their heroes. So again, the fans and, and the, the, the reaction of the fans goes yeah. so way back that Listen. you know not, not a whole lot is new. As yeah, like. and, and that 1,400 is the right about number. So you're even playing to the same similar size crowd, and that size usually indicates that they're bigger than the rest of the smaller company for a reason, right? And, it, and it's through the test of time. So, you know, just a different, it's a different era, and we, that's what we need to go back to. It's much better. I, I, we don't talk. We didn't talk. You didn't see us talking to each other. Me and Sammy just beat each other up. You beat me up for a little while. I beat you up for a little while. We got the finish. Boom. You never saw us talking. You saw me cracking them. That's all you saw. There's no talking needed to be done. You know, headlock. Pull, the kids today, get a guy in a headlock. They pull his head up and pull his nose down. Two tackles drop down. You know, at least we used to try to be ventriloquists at least. I would do it in between grumbling. Ah, as the rep to tackles drop down, leapfrog, hip toss. Say it real under. You don't move your mouth. You got your head down. Try to hide it. Davey. Different people have, like, you know, different ways of, of calling things and doing things. So the thing is, you. For some, it works for others. Yeah. Well, Davey O'Hannon told me the uh, door in the men's locker room in Wildwood is four seconds. Of you walking down a hallway where if that door it takes that long for that door to close. And I watched a video of somebody walking through the door, crippled on holding on to two people. They just made it over the threshold. The door was still open. And the guy stands right up and starts telling everybody, thank you, thank you. Like, the door was still open. So that kid, that's what he saw. That's how he found that it wasn't real. Like, you know, like, Davey would tell me, Davey said, when you walk through that that door into the locker room, if you had heat or whatever, he says, just remember, keep walking straight. By the time you get to the end of the hallway where you have to make a left or a right to go to the locker room, that door will have closed. So smart. He said that years ago, and I'm watching something recently, I see that. I go, look at that. It's the lessons you can learn from the people that you watch from the past. As yeah. with uh, the Nature Boy that we yeah. are uh, talking about now, there were yeah. uh, so many to follow uh, him yeah. and, and with his name, trying to claim the name of the nature boy. But yeah. uh, you know, as we read, uh, he was one of the more uh, hardcore nature. Yes. He, he brought it, he brought it to the table, you know, he, you know, dished it out as hard as he took it. Yeah. And good while doing it. So for yeah. everyone, that followed him, whether it be Buddy Landell or Ric Flair, uh, you know, it, it, they, they, it all ties Fashion back. After that. One. Yes. Yeah. So, and that, you know, it's a, all, but I think the thing that's enigma about him is that um, there's more, more to the story than meets the eye that most people know of Buddy Rogers. And that being said, he knew the blood with the blonde hair. He capitalized on that and used it. He was almost always bleeding. And when you think of Buddy Rogers, that's not the first thing you think of. You think of it's a classy type of guy shredded around, but yet he knew that getting color and having that blonde hair and having that through the red, it's, you know, people loved it. They loved the blood. Everyone loves the crimson man. Yeah. 
so back in Santa Rosa on November 7th, Rogers undertook the daunting challenge of both Dubuque and Von Goring in a special rules contest. Yet again, it was a frenzied battle and police were called upon to prevent a full riot again. Full scale riot again. See, look, and he says it right there. Right? It's a lot of heat. Yeah. Over pro wrestling, that's heat right there. Yeah. Uh, instead of it being a regular handicap match in which the Buke and Von Goring would wrestle one at a time, the official allowed them to act as a tag team. Rogers was required to beat both men to win. I guess they mean one guy at a time in with him. Right. And if he was defeated for a fall, he would forfeit the purse. But he was gaining and had his opponents on their heels throughout the bout. He won the first fall, but his foes conspired to have him counted out in the second. Arousing the crowd, arousing the crowd, fans physically assailed Von Goring and Dubuque in a post-match mayhem, and in the midst of the reckless brawling, the referee alerted the decision, altered the decision, giving Rogers a win. The involvement of spectators was risky business, and considered the heat they were generating, it was just a matter of time before a customer took things too far. Such a situation arose in San Jose on November 12th, when Von Goring was confronted by a knife-wielding fan, Clyde Steves, was slashed on the arm and required medical attention. Rogers wasn't booked as an inv invincible grappler. In fact, it was quite the opposite. He displayed his vulnerabilities while popping up the strengths of his rivals. Now, this, uh, this sounds like, like a Puerto Rico incident, like fans attacking with knives. Yeah. In California, I mean, it was really hardcore back then to the, like, the fans. To the point where they would get so infuriated by the angle yeah. and the heat that was being generated by these guys that they, they go and friggin' stab them. Unbelievable. Just yeah, you don't see yeah. a whole lot of guys nowadays getting stabbed. You know, that's yeah. that's I think people took it serious and for for that reason it would that was real for, for the workers. Sure. You know, you know, it's like when you see the movie uh what's his name is a bouncer with the hair, Swayze. You know, he had four spare tires in his truck because he'd been there before. He knew. Like, I'll come out one night and I got no tires. I can't get out of the neighborhood because they slash your tires. You go in the truck and you take, you take them out and you put them on. It's not your first barbecue. That's not right. You, you know what the deal is and you know what to do yeah. and how to prepare. And these exactly. guys definitely, they, they knew how to prepare. They knew how to bring it. They knew how to get yeah. that heat and, and put that show on and keep Bringing the people back and putting the asses in the seats, whether yeah. they loved them or hate them, hated them to the point of stabbing them. They brought them yeah. back and they kept bringing them back for a long it, time. It was hot. Like, figure 1,400 people back then, right? You know, they were in some building that probably didn't have air conditioning. Oh, and yeah. it wasn't a building that held 5,000 and only had 1,400. It was probably a building that only held 1,000, but they had 1,400. So that's the way you were working, like East, like ECW kind of, you know, hot and just this is grassroots, like you know, this is real shit, you know. Um, so that's what why it's worth it. And if you're crippled because you spend, you know, the, 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 you, know you did that, you knew, 
You know, people told you, you can't take bumps on concrete. Yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in, in wrapping up, uh, what, how, how, does this, how does this story end? So, well, what, what happens now, you got to figure he's only in like the beginning of his first year of his run. So there's so much more. And, you know, the story about him and Bruno uh, and losing the title of Bruno in like 48 seconds or something. And that Bruno just said that I'm going to do my best out there, so I suggest you do your best. As if to say, you know, it's going to be a shoot. Right, right. So, but like I said, depends on who you talk to. It's a little different. Uh, Of course, their accounts separately, individually are different. But I think we'll, I'm going to find where that is in here for our next episode. You know uh, what? Or, yeah, I want to get to that in our next episode of uh, our book reading for Wrestling yeah. Mind. We will get to uh, back to the Nature Boy, the original Nature Boy, and uh, have some of those stories about him and Bruno and uh, yeah. some of his other times in what was what, the Golden Era? Was it the Golden Yeah, I, yeah absolutely. Okay. You know, Hollywood Legion Stadium, like that's like Madison Square Garden. Actually, then it was probably bigger than Madison Square Garden, you know. So things changed over the years, but there's these venues that were big and they packed them. And I'm talking about a lot of places ran every week, every week. So this is packed. a great story. So let's get back to this in episode two. Okay. Uh, uh, and what is the name of this book again? This is Master of the Ring. The story of Buddy, Buddy Rogers, who, of course, was uh, world champion. You know, he carried his own cha- title. Kind of, they made it up. Um, so it's an interesting story about how that happened. And it was basically the forming of Capital Wrestling was Vince's father. So that's, that, that situation caused a split and had you know, Vince Sr. Uh, open up Capital Wrestling, which was the beginning of WWE. So, so yeah. join us back next week when we'll be uh, reviewing more of Masters of the Ring. And, uh, you know, include all that. We are on every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Monty and the Pharaohs YouTube. Join us over there uh, for book readings and wrestling rewind, uh, our, but wrestling archives. And, um, you know, any, any other shows we have coming up, uh, we will join. So we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us here on Wrestling Rewind. Uh, for my host, the Iron Man, Tommy Cairo, I am Angel Amoroso saying have a nice night and a nice life. Good night. Good night.